The one today is another special focus, and that'll be, that, that is hospitality. Okay, so we look at our sheets today. Time to eat, time to serve. I'd be willing to serve, but I don't know what I could do. Living on mission. That's something full-time missionaries do. But me? Are you ready for some good news about living on mission in your community? There's an amazing, simple, enjoyable way to serve others as part of your everyday life. In fact, if you can eat, you can be on a mission. Anybody here can't eat? Okay, if you can eat, you can be on a mission. Deep within us, all people long to share good food with their family and friends. We have a natural appreciation for good meals with lots of conversation, joy, and love. There's something incredible in these meals that moves way beyond just eating. This may surprise you, but all of these experiences can point us toward the kingdom of God. How? I believe hospitality is essential in understanding the nature of God and the mission of God. Through Jesus' teaching at a meal, we can learn to comfortably engage people with love and grace, with the love and grace of the gospel. As we'll see in the pages to come, sharing a meal together can open the door to hospitality, open the door to conversation, and open the door to knowing Jesus. Let's learn to serve by creating a culture infused with hospitality. And so this study is a special focus on hospitality today. Okay, question number one. What is question number one on page 137? What does make a special meal so memorable? Think of memory. You had a special meal at some particular point, and you remember it to this to this very day. Something about that meal. Why do you still remember it? The love involved in how it was served. Okay, good. The people you spend the time with. The people you spend the time with. Okay. The ones you have the meal with. The ones you have the meal with. Okay. Hmm? The decor, okay. The environment, you mean? Okay. What else do we remember about that meal? You'll never forget it because of this. The occasion. You celebrate a special occasion. Special occasion, right? Okay. All right. Let's look at the Bible meets life section on page 138. If we can have someone read that, please. Bible meets life. Certain meals. Certain meals stand out in our memories. I'm not talking about the food necessarily, but the occasion. The wedding rehearsal dinner, a Thanksgiving meal of all of your extended family, that unplanned occasion that turned into a long dinner conversation. Our favorite meals may or may not involve great food, but they always involve people. These are the meals where we share life together. <laughs> The table is often the best place to truly experience fellowship with others. All these experiences point us to the kingdom of God. We were made for moments like this, made for hospitality, 
friendship, and fellowship. As well as we'll see this week, Jesus teaches us to use these moments to extend the kingdom of God to others. Okay, and so we look at the top of page 138, you'll see the point of our lesson today. The whole point of this lesson is what? Hospitality is a practical way share Christ with others. Right. Hospitality is a practical way. And one point we need to make is that we all need to be practical. And that's what that's what people appreciate. That's what impacts people more than anything else. Practicality. If you're not practical in what you do, people are not going to get it. Okay? And so hospitality is a practical way to share Christ with others. And you'll know that whenever people want to reach people with the gospel, they use their stomachs to do it, right? Yeah. They always use their stomachs to do it. Okay, look at all the missions around the world. One of the things that they, they grab people with their attention with is food. And that time that you will spend in the fellowship of feasting. Okay, we're going to look at the passage uh, before us on page 139. Uh, but before we do, I want to think about the setting here uh, of the passage. Jesus had already begun his journey toward Jerusalem. As we see in Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 51 and chapter 13, with the cross still to come. Along the way, he accepted a Sabbath invitation to dine with one of the leading Pharisees in the region. Took advantage of that opportunity and that particular setting to teach about humility and about receiving and issuing invitations a banquet in the kingdom of God. And of course, I'm sure we remember that story. Okay, let's have someone read the first verses 12 to 14. And if you could read it from your study guide that you have on page 139. He also said to the one who had invited him, then he gave a night for a dinner. Don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. Because they might invite you back, and you would be paid. On the contrary, when you have the banquet, invite those who are poor, vain, vain, or blind. And you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, or you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Okay, I notice in verse 12, after discussing the proper etiquette, of a guest, Jesus challenged his host, not only his host, but he challenged, he challenged the entire group that was there on how to be a, what we might call a counter-cultural host. The words for a lunch or a dinner in this verse encompasses the types of meals common at that time in Jewish culture. Hebrews typically only ate two meals a day, breakfast late in the morning, and dinner late in the afternoon, the main meal of the day. The Pharisees' invitation list consisted of those who needed to repay for previously inviting him to a dinner and those wealthy and influential people he wanted to invite, so he would, he would owe them a free dinner. This is known as the principle of reciprocity which is widely observed during the times of Jesus. This principle held that when a favor or a gift was given to a person, 
that person was under obligation to return a favor or a gift of like kind. Therefore, a person behaved generously toward those he wished to receive a favorable treatment from in the future. In our culture, we call it, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Okay? Basically, that's what we call it. Okay, but that's what he's talking about here. And so the word banquet here uh, suggests an elaborate meal given at a formal dinner or reception. Jesus gave a list of people who would also be invited to the banquet. These are some of the groups of people Jesus wanted to identify later in verse 21. In Jesus' day, it was also acceptable for Jews to associate with these types of people, so it would have been unthinkable to have invited them to a public dinner. These groups of people were from the lowest level of society. They would, be, uh, would have been considered the marginalized and excluded people in society. And they were not even allowed to enter the temple to worship God. In other words, Jesus encouraged people to make the unaccepted the accepted. To make the unaccepted be accepted. These are the types of people followers of Jesus are to focus on and for whom they are to provide and care for, like we do through Care Kitchen and Operation In as much today. The marginalized people of society. Jesus ministered to these types of people and he expected his disciples to follow his example. And this is what is expected of each of us as well. Okay, let's have uh, someone read the paragraphs on page 140. <coughs> this passage focuses on two of my favorite subjects, Jesus and food. Specifically, <laughs> I guess it's everybody's favorite subject. Jesus and food. All right. Specifically, Jesus used the occasion of sharing food to teach about people and the kingdom of God, about hospitality. In many ways, Jesus is the ultimate example of hospitality. He consistently used meals as opportunities to engage people, teach them, and love them. In these verses, Jesus calls us to do two things. First, he calls us to invite the outsiders in our community. Now, Jesus wasn't opposed to spending time with friends and family. In fact, he made it clear that people will know we're disciples by our love for one another. See John 13:35. That's why it's important to distinguish between fellowship and hospitality. Fellowship is what we do together as believers. Hospitality is how we show love to strangers. Okay, now notice that focus there. You notice the difference between the two? Yeah. Fellowship is what we do together as believers. And what is hospitality? It's how we show love to strangers. Okay, let's remember that. Go on. Here's the important point. It's okay to mix fellowship and hospitality. Jesus never hung out exclusively with the religious establishment. And what he said in these verses was simple. Don't limit the guest list to certain individuals. In fact, give preference to the poor. It's as if Jesus looked around the room and asked, where are the orphans, the troubled teenagers, the people in wheelchairs? 
the single mom struggling to get by, we are the people who are broken. The second thing Jesus calls us to do is to be hospitable to those who can't repay us. Much of our social life is built around repayment. You give me a birthday gift and I'll spend a comparable amount on your gift. You buy me lunch and I'll buy you lunch. Jesus was talking about something completely different. Invite the needy and show them grace and you'll be repaid at the resurrection. That's powerful. Why should we practice hospitality? Because we who have been shown grace ought to be gracious to others. And grace can pour out of your hospitality. So collapse the distance between yourself and the marginalized. Make room for them at your table. Okay, question number two. Who are the outsiders in your community? The poor. The poor, okay. The marginalized. Okay, and those are the people that we minister to. But do we minister to them? No. No, we exclude them. Yes. Okay, they are the unacceptable. We need to make them the acceptable. And that's the point that Jesus is making here uh, in this passage. Question number three. Who do you... Who do you know who is actively hospitable? Who do you know, personally or otherwise, that are actively hospitable? Sid Ward. Sid Ward, okay. Anybody else? Deontay Edgecombe. Deontay Edgecombe, okay. Good. I knew a brother that I worked with when we were doing ministry in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, he was always bringing somebody home. You know, his wife, they always be prepared. Be prepared to prepare a meal because he would go out and he would always be bringing somebody home you know and that's active hospitality and that's what all of us are expected to do according to what Jesus is saying here in this passage and what he's demonstrated for us in this passage okay look at the 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 final paragraph uh, that we just read notice why should we practice hospitality? That's a question that all of us should have a good answer for. Because we who have been shown grace ought to be gracious to others. Now how many times do we disobey that? We're always talking about how gracious God is to us. But are we reciprocal in terms of demonstrating that grace to others? That's the point. And grace can pour out our hospitality. So collapse the distance between yourself and the marginalized and make room for them at the table. And it's always been that way, you know. Yeah, I mean, it still is. is. It still is, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Despite all that we saw when we when we came into the Proverbs, remember we saw when we to the Proverbs and talking about God is always a friend to the poor and those who lend to the poor lend to God. And that's over we see that we saw that over and over and over when we went through the Proverbs. And so people still do it. But it should not be done. By following Jesus' example. <laughs> following Jesus' example. Okay? By making the unacceptable acceptable. You see, we always see them as unacceptable. That's why we don't reach out to them. Okay? They're unacceptable. They're not, they're not in our, what we call it? In our circle. In our circle. Our inner circle. Okay? They are of a different socio economic and whatever level. Okay, so we, we, we're not into them. Okay. Uh, to reach out to them is a demonstration of God's love. Okay, they are, they are unaccepted by all. We are supposed to be the different, we are supposed to make a difference and make them acceptable. And you'll be amazed at how they respond when you do. When I say that, they're entering reality and we know we shouldn't do it. How do we get out of that? You know, really, all that's do it. We, we need to be designing. We need to be designing that everybody else is doing and we need to be different. That's right. Okay? It's, it's, be, it's become, it has become the accepted norm of the day. All the way back in Jesus' day, people were doing it. It has become the accepted norm to look beyond them, to look past them, to disregard them as nothing. Okay? We need to be designing to the extent that we think differently from the way other people think. And we think more along the lines of how Jesus, well, what, you know, many years ago they had those little braces yeah. called, what would Jesus do? Yeah. Well, basically that's what we ought to be thinking. When we run into a person like that, we ought to be thinking, not what everybody else does, but what would Jesus do in a situation like this? And if we ask ourselves that question, I can guarantee you, you're going to come up with a different answer from the way everybody else is behaving and how everybody else is treating that person. Because if you've got the Spirit of God in you, He's going to convict you. That's right. He is going to convict you about your behavior and your attitude, and you're going to have to do something about it. Otherwise, you're going to grieve the Holy Spirit. You know what? I just if I just the lower glasses time, I don't want them going to the box. Set aside a Okay. Yes. Because they're so used to it yes. that they think that everybody who looks at them are looking down on them. That's what they that's all they're used to. And so we've got to be able to be the one to make the difference. They will ask you for something that no other guy doesn't think or something. Well if a person is is in need and you offer them food and they don't want it, then they really don't they're not in need. Okay? If they want money so they can spend it on cigarettes and alcohol. So and uh, and the, the the numbers hall, the, the, the gaming shop, or whatever they call it. Okay? Yeah. Okay, let's move on. As we continue in verses 24 to verses 15 to 24, we'll see Jesus use a story, a parable, to reinforce what he taught in verses 12 to 14. Okay, notice the context. Uh, let's read uh, 
Let's read the first paragraph on page 141 uh, to give us the context uh, here. In Jesus' second parable, a man gave a banquet, a great party, and invited many people to come. It was common in that day to issue two invitations. The first essentially asked if they wanted to come. If a person responded yes, a second invitation was sent informing that the person that everything was now ready for the banquet. Yet when the servant went to those who had RSVP'd, they made excuses, lame excuses for not coming. Notice excuses. I have bought a field and I must go to see it. Verse 18. I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Now don't you try something out before you buy it? <laughs> don't you see a field before you buy it? I just got married and therefore I am unable to come. You gotta go on the honeymoon. Okay, all of these would have been unacceptable reasons for rejecting a banquet in Jesus' day, especially since each guest had already agreed to attend. So in essence, they lied. We often hear equally lame excuses when, invited, when we invite people to church, don't we? I can't, NASCAR is on TV or some other sport. I'm working on my tan. Don't yet I want too often. It's not a good time right now. We often hear that one, right? Whatever the excuse, it's bad news when anything takes priority over Jesus. Okay, let's read the passage now. Someone read uh, verses 15 to 20. That sets the, the context. That sets the stage. Let's look at the passage now. Verses 15 to 20. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, The one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God is blessed. Then he told him, A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his slave to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, bought a field and I must go out and see it. I asked you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I asked you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married and therefore I'm um, unable to come. Okay, notice verse 18 to 20. Jesus revealed that all the invitees made excuses not to attend the banquet. All of them. Everybody invited, everybody had an excuse. He gave three specific examples. The three excuses all involved family or material possessions. Notice that? All involved family or material possessions. These examples reflect people's excuses not to accept the invitation to be a part of the kingdom of God. Many people in relationships with people and material wealth in higher priority, many people put, put relationships with people and material wealth in a higher priority than the things of God. 
humans have a tendency to choose the temporal over the eternal. And we do that all the time, don't we? This was the case with these three people who refused the invitation to the banquet. At the first invitation, they responded positively. And isn't that what we get? I can't count the many times we went out knocking on doors, inviting people to come to church, and everybody said, yeah, I'll come in. And they never show up. Positive response at the outset, but they never follow through. But when the time actually came for the banquet, they chose to fulfill other obligations. Good promises. Remember, we went to a little lady on, the, on a porch, and her porch was right opposite the church. You know, and she was invited to come to church. She says, oh, no, can't I come today? I said, well, what about tomorrow? Oh, I don't think I'm going to, I'm going to be busy tomorrow, too. And she's right across the street from the church. The first guest asked to be excused because he bought a field and needed to go out and see it. Such a claim would have been out of order. You know, nobody actually buys a field without seeing it. I mean, there are real estate brokers today who buy sight unseen. Uh, I guess that's a norm. Uh, to purchase something without first seeing it is always a risky venture. And uh, I'm sure none of us would go into that, right? Would you buy something without seeing it? The second guest referred to a recent purchase of five yoke of oxen, as five pairs of oxen, which he apparently bought without, expect, without inspecting, without looking at them to, you know, they could have been scrawny little beasts with all the bones sticking up. You know, he didn't know because he didn't see them, but he bought them anyway. That would have been highly unlikely. The third person gave the excuse of having recently been married, which was actually no excuse at all. Jewish weddings did not happen as a surprise. They were elaborate affairs that took months of preparation. And this person knew well in advance that he had a wedding, yet he accepted the invitation to the banquet knowing that he wasn't going to attend anyway. And all three guests gave weak excuses for not attending the banquet, choosing instead to gravely insult the host. Jesus showed that these three examples, Jesus showed by these three examples how easily families, finances, and possessions can distract people from accepting an invitation of God, and it's happening today. Repeatedly, over and over, you talk to an individual about accepting Christ and they'll give you all kinds of excuses. I remember before I got saved, uh, this pastor that I worked with uh, at Royal Bank invited me to church. And I'm a classic example of poison. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll come. And then my friends came along and they said, boy, you know, we're going to play golf today. You want to go? Yeah. Uh, so I went to play golf and uh, I'm sure the guy showed up to my house uh, looking to pick me up and I was in there. But I gave him a good positive response. And I never played golf in my life. It was the first time. People do it all the time. Question number four, page 141. What does it say? What's the difference between asking someone to church and asking someone to a meeting? So what's the difference? Mm -hmm. Is there a difference? 
Which one do you think the person would more readily accept? Meal. Meal. Oh yeah. The meal. So we see why hospitality is so vital, right? Because you're going to get them there. The meal is going to get them there. We went to Pacific Garden Mission one time and they had 300 men gathered together. And you know why? Because there was a meal afterwards. Where in the world could you get 300 men off the streets in one place singing hymns of the face? So robustly. But they were there. And afterwards they went out in the basement and they ate their, they ate their hearts out. But the meal is what got them there. Okay, the next passage then is on uh, is, uh, verses 1, 21 to 24. Let's have someone read those, please. So the spirit came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of hell is told his slave, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city, and bring in here the poor, lame, blind, and mean. Master, the slave said, what you order has been done, and there is still room. Then the master told the slave, go out into the highways and lanes, and make them come in, so that my house may be filled. But I tell you, not one of these men, not one of those men, who invited me to enjoy my family. So we noticed the host reacted with justifiable rage. Because he sent the invitation out, all these people said they were coming. He made all this preparation, spent all this money, and nobody showed up. I mean, how would you feel? How would you feel? Uh, my, my son's uh, friends had a surprise birthday party for him last evening. And they went into went out to all this stuff and uh, prepared all this meal. Everybody did this and that, did that. And, and, uh, and when he came, he was really surprised. But think of what would happen if the host prepared and nobody, nobody came and did their part. It wouldn't have been a surprise. And so this man was justifiably outraged that he made all these preparations and the guests never showed up. Okay, let's look at the passages on page 142. Notice the first two paragraphs on page 142. In the parable, the host told the servants to go out, on the, oh, go out to the streets and bring in the poor, disabled, blind, and lame. The servant said, what you ordered has been done. And there's still more space. There's still more room. We still need more people. That's good news for us, isn't it? There's still room. There's room for us to go out and invite more people into our lives and into our homes. We ultimately want to invite them to the King's Feast in Heaven because there's room for all who will come. Everything needed has been accomplished for us to come to the King. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, and rose from the dead Everything is ready. Someone read the rest of it, please. In the story, the master sent his servant out into the highways and the hedges to compel people to come in. This is called to be a vigilant and passionate as we, com as we compel people to join us. Let's not be timid. Let's invite others into our lives. And in the process, 
let's invite them to the King's party. The church I pastor seeks to reach outsiders primarily by practicing hospitality. We do this both one-on-one -on -one and in small groups. When someone wants to get involved in our church, he or she will often ask, how do I get plugged into your church? Our answer is almost always the same. Eat with people. We want believers having meals with their neighbors. Two or three times a week, we want them to simply follow Jesus' example and spend time with people around our table. Let's invite others in. We who have received God's grace, likewise, should show grace. And when you invite people, it might surprise you who says yes. After all, even you did. Amen. Question number five, last question. What can we do as a group to make a space at the table outside? What can we do as a group to make space at the table for outsiders? We could probably think of some things we can do individually, but what can we do as a group? Have a party. Have a party, okay. You get people at a party. People love parties. <laughs> they love parties. Okay, there's an exercise on page 143. It's called Room at the Table. Notice. All of us have multiple opportunities for showing hospitality each week. Uh, some of us don't think of them, but they are there. Choose two of the following examples and record at least one person you can invite to join you at your table in the weeks to come. Okay, notice. At home, at work, or oh, at work, at home, and on the go. Who among your friends and family can help you go on a mission through hospitality. Many. Hmm? Many. Okay, and that's an exercise that uh, I would encourage you to do and see what comes out of it. Okay, as we wrap it up here, because time is rapidly going, look at uh, page 144, and let's see how we can live out this lesson today. What can we do to walk out of this room and live this out in a practical way uh, that God would indeed uh, get the glory? Consider the following suggestions for making hospitality a regular part of, of, the, of your lives. What will you do to make hospita hospitality a part of your life? Look on the fringes. Wherever people gather together, some tend to be left out. Identify one of these marginalized folks in your circle of acquaintances and offer an invitation. Okay? That's a do thing. Something we can do. And then the second one is open your home. Meeting someone at a coffee shop is nice, but there's something personal about, in, about inviting others to your home. It's a sign of approval and trust. Some folks some folk love their home so much they don't want nobody coming to their home. Okay? You know, when I did mini church, I was a mini church leader for, for some years, and uh, one of the things that we practiced, at, uh, Pastor Lee offered, uh, challenged us to practice in our mini church was to have, always have an empty chair. And the empty chair was always for a visitor. The empty chair was always to invite a visitor to come in. But you know that group got so close and so 
so intimate, they didn't want outsiders. They didn't, they actually, they, some of them said that, we don't want nobody coming in knowing our business, because it was an intimate setting where they discussed their, their personal things and, and their personal lives, and, and even though we had that empty chair, it was never filled. Because nobody invited a stranger to come and sit in that chair. We don't want nobody coming knowing our business, they said. But the whole purpose of the mini church was to bring new people in, to get people saved, so that the group can grow to the extent where it expands and it's a breakup. And so we find that many people don't want, and the mini churches met in homes. They met in people's homes. And then thirdly, mix it up. If your group goes bowling, eats lunch together, or meets, at a cof- meet, meets up for coffee, bring people into the mix who don't know Jesus. Be a group of ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Three things we can do. You can choose which one. Down the road, someone may ask you, ask one of the outsiders in your community, what made a favorite meal so memorable? Let the answer include you and your gift of hospitality. That's a challenge, isn't it? Yes. Amen.